0: grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean O'Zaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And today we continue in the series called The Storyteller, The Parables of Jesus. As Pastor Sean is now teaching in Luke chapter 18, it's the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And you know, let's just say it. Some people get on our nerves, the way they drive, the way they eat, the way they talk. Well, isn't it nice Jesus doesn't feel that way about you? Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give also right there at reallife.org. Today is part two of a message called Justify. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: And the whole thing is summed up in this, in verse 11. That phrase he said, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. God, I thank you, I'm not like them. God, I thank you, I'm not like other people. God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. There is so much sin wrapped up in that phrase. So much sin. In fact, I think the core of sin. I mean, we we, we are like, we've heard this story, so we're like, I think, I hope a little too smart and savvy to actually say that out loud. Okay? Right? I hope. We would use the obligatory, I know no one's perfect. And, oh, I'm not perfect, but, and then we would proceed, okay? That, that's, how, that's how we would approach it, because we're smarter than that, right? I thank you I'm not like, and you fill in the blank. I thank you I'm not like those greedy business people. Mm. Thank God I'm not like them. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those illegal aliens. Thank God I'm not like those Washington politicians, and I actually do thank God that we're not like that, because we're way better than them, right? I mean, no, I'm sorry, I missed the point. The whole point, that's the whole point. That was wrong. Those Washington politicians, I thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like those religious hypocrites. They're the worst. They're the worst, high and mighty. Or Thank God I'm not like those prima donna athletes. Thank God I'm not like that guy at my work who, you know, he's always got stories every Monday morning, oh my gosh. Or I'm not like that woman down the street who who knows what's going on there. There's always something going on there. You know what I mean. Thank God I'm not like them. See, I want to suggest that is the core of the sin nature. And it's the point of Jesus' whole story. And if you're taking notes, write this down, because here's the main point. It is a basic, it is a core of our faith. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And note this word, all. All. And it doesn't say we are all varying degrees of sinners. Certainly, I'm a pastor. I'm kind of better than you guys, right? I mean, come on, be honest, y'all. It doesn't work like that. This is a core understanding, a cornerstone of our faith. We are lost apart from Jesus Christ. I am as lost, you are as lost as the most, whatever you want to define as the most wretched sinner on the face of this planet. We are lost and separated, and broken. We have a core nature in us, according to the scripture, and according to the scripture, and well, any news media outlet, anybody who's read the scriptures, or paid attention at all, realizes, man, people have got an evil core. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there isn't potential for good in us because we were created in the image of god i'm not saying that at all there absolutely is but apart from him in our rebellion we are lost and we are all sinners desperate sinners in need of a savior And this cornerstone of our faith is more than just a theological idea. It is an extremely important and practical contemporary message for us as we face the stuff that we all have to face every day, as we read the stuff we have to read, as we talk about the things that we have to talk about. This is an extremely practical idea. I think there's a couple points worth noting that will help us out. I think Jesus would tell us, beware the myth of the good person. Beware the myth of the good person. Like I said, I'm not not saying we don't have potential for good and that we aren't created in the image of God. We are. What I am saying, what I am saying is that mankind is in rebellion against God and we have a sin nature. And that sin nature always wants to exalt self at the expense of whatever. Beware the myth of a good person. I can't tell you how many people "I, I would tell them about Jesus, but they're just such good people. They're better than anybody I know. They're better than anybody at my church. I mean, they don't really need Jesus. They're that kind of good. Um, I'm sorry to, to burst the, your bubble there. If you think that, you are absolutely deceived. I'm not saying they might not be nice. I'm not saying they might not be polite. I'm not saying they might not be a wonderful person. I'm just saying at their core, they have a sin nature just like you and I. And if you sat and talked to them and they were honest enough with you, they could tell you about it. See, this gets very Real. Beware the myth of the good person. Paul wrote about it in Romans 3, 21 through 24. Look what he said. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He's going to introduce how this happened. See, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God, his righteousness, real righteousness, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned. Wait a minute, look at that no distinction. For there is no distinction. You don't get to say there's degrees. Well, at least I'm better than them, right? There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. That's why we're so thankful for the cross. If we understand our condition, that the idea of the, the well, I'm better than them, you, you know, we love those comparisons because we get to pick who we compare to, Right? And we could try to find somebody and go, well, I'm clearly better than them. Look, I'm here on a Sunday morning, Sean. we got to be pretty good, right? And we got to be careful in the church. We can kind of start to believe our own press. You know? Because it's true. We we came to Jesus. We were sinners. If if we didn't recognize our sinfulness, if we didn't recognize our need for a Savior, we wouldn't even be here. So we come to that place where we accept Christ as Savior and recognize my sin was killing me. And we repent and we turn to Jesus and we begin to follow him. And then we begin to do some healthy things. We begin to grow. We begin to mature. And that's where we got to be careful. Because we will start to do more righteous things. We will start to walk in the righteousness of Christ. But if we ever start to believe, oh, that means apart from Christ, I'm just righteous. We are walking in deception. And it's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And we, we love to find that person who we're kind of, we think we're better than, and we compare to them, you know, well, God, I'm clearly better than them because I know God's fair and he's great and on a curve, right? He's great. Of course, God's great on a curve. Yeah. It, it's, see, that's not how it works. He talked about the righteousness of God. It's not me compared to this person because here's, here's, maybe, maybe there are some people who I'm, I'm not quite as, as bogged down in the manifestations of sin as they are. And so here's them and here's me. Okay? A pastor trying really hard to follow Jesus. Okay, there's us. And then there's God. And we keep, just keep going. You got, want to compare what we're supposed to compare to. The whole point of the law, we're to compare to the righteousness of God. And remember what the scripture says about our righteousness? It's like what? Our righteousness is as filthy rags, it's like garbage. See, don't buy the lie of self righteousness. It's funny, because when, with our bad behavior, we excuse ourselves, because we, we, we know the reasons. We, we have the excuses. And we look at other people differently. Like, oh, yeah, they're bad. Yeah, what they're doing is bad. Wow, they're, well, you know, just they're kind of a bad person. But with ourselves, we're like, yeah, but I had this reason. Yeah, but do you know what they did to me? And so we have all the internal excuses. Fact is, you and I are sinners who need a Savior. It's a core idea of this. And that idea is the beginning of really good things if we will really grasp onto that idea and understand the provision God made in the cross of Jesus Christ so that we could be set free, our sins could be paid for, the barrier of sin could be removed so that we could enter into the presence of God. You are a sinner who needs a Savior, and so is everyone else. And We really need to understand this, okay? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and so is everyone else. That person who Cuts me off on the freeway, the person who bothers me at work, that person who I just can't say. Every time they come on the radio, I turn it off. They're all, we're all a sinner in need of a Savior. Our president made a really ill-advised statement. Um, and you know, when I wrote this, I, I actually wrote that statement down, I think either Wednesday or Thursday. He's made like five since then, and I'm just really like, oh God. I read it again as before service last night, and I thought, well, that's kind of, goes without saying, Sadly. He made a really ill-advised statement when commenting on the clash between protesters in Charlottesville, Charlottesville a few weeks back. Remember when he said there were good people on both sides? Remember that? And he got in a lot of hot water for that, a lot of heat, a lot of pushback. He would have been far more accurate if he would have said there are broken, guilty sinners on both sides. Because that's just empirically true. If he would have said there are broken, guilty sinners on both sides, that would have been an accurate statement. Beware the myth of the good person. Beware appearances. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. A second thing that this brings out is a really, I I just want, this is such a cornerstone idea today in our cultural kind of divided, the vitriol of our culture. Seeing myself accurately will change how I see others. Taking notes, write that one down. Seeing myself accurately will change how I see others others. See, that was the problem. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. That was the core sin. It's a false premise. God, I thank you I'm not like them. No, the fact is I am. We're not different. We're the same. That's been one of my contentions as we have, you know, walked through and tried to have conversations about the big issue that has been last number of years in our culture of same-sex attraction the idea is because because one of the problems is all sides involved have said oh those people have same-sex attractions and as we talk about the lbgtq community they're different than us they're different than us and and that's the problem when you start to say that now you're kind of now you're on uh, you're on the wrong side of that discussion they're exactly the same as us They're exactly the same as us. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Stop and think about it. Some people are like, well, but you know, there's the genetic orientation and there's that. One, let me just be real plain with you. Uh, If you actually dig into the science of that, that has never been proven. That is a very shaky idea. But even if it were, listen to me, even if it were you could say, yeah, no, there's genetic predisposition towards certain types of sin, So, what? Let me tell you something. We all have a genetic predisposition towards sin. It's called the flesh, it's called the carnal nature. What's your genetic predisposition? I've told you before. I've told you before, people could say, Well, you know, I I just have a bad temper. I'm Irish. It's just in my blood. I can't really help it. So, when I get angry, I have to punch people in the face. That's what I do. I can't, nothing I can do about it. Please, I need a safe space to be able to punch people in the face. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. You can control those impulses. It mu- what if it's true? What if it's true that some families, they're a little more fiery in their temperament. They're a little more prone to, there's good sides and bad sides. But yeah, there's a little more of a temper. Do we say, well, then you can punch people in the face? No. No, that's a, if it's a genetic predisposition, whatever, it's a carnal nature thing towards sin. And you can, in Christ Jesus, be set free. You can say no. You can say, Lord, fill me give me and set me free from that sin
0: and this is when we take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to reaching for real life with sean azaro the senior pastor of river city community church a listener supported radio ministry in this message called justified it's in the series the storyteller which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org and while you're there if you've been blessed by this teaching your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. Series In a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life.
1: I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit.
0: Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Nazaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now the conclusion of the message, Justified. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
1: How about the person who sins in regards to opposite sex attraction? The guy who just looks at girls and goes, Man, I just I have a high sex drive, and so therefore I can't help it. I can't say no. We would look at that and go, That's ridiculous. Of course you can. Of course you can. And in Christ Jesus, you can be set free. In Christ Jesus, you can be made whole. You can be set free in Him. See, we're not different. We're the same. I don't care if you're the self-righteous church person who looks at someone in the gay community and goes, that's revolting. That's gross. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Before God, so is your sin. So is your sin. Or I don't care if you're on the other side and you go, well, they can't help it because they have a gene and you just can't. I'm sorry. They're not different. They're not different than me. They're the same as me. And Jesus' call and his invitation is the same. His love is the same for them. That's why we have good news for people who wrestle with same-sex attraction. You can be set free like we all can be set free. Come, come along. Let's be set free by Jesus. Let's do it together. It's powerful. It's powerful. You see, that's, the root of that is the sin of looking down on other people. See, what, you know why we put other people down? We put other people down out of pride, because we want to exalt self in some perverse sort of way. Like I said, if I make them lower, and I build myself up, and the, then I feel a little bit better, and it's pride, and that's the root of sin, and we all struggle with it. So if I put other people down, then I kind of feel a little bit better. Let me ask you, who do you look down on? See, we talk a lot about racism in our culture. That's Great example of this sin. Racism is one of the big manifestations of this root sin. The pride of self-exaltation. I'm going to use that criteria and look down on someone else. And we find all kinds of ways to divide and all kinds of reasons to exalt ourselves by putting others down. How about economic status? You ever, had, you ever been made to feel like you were lesser than someone because they made more money and they were able to do more things and had more things? And just kind of a sense of looking down, or maybe you've been on the other side of that. Maybe you've kind of looked down on some people because, well, they're just not quite as successful as you, and their economic status isn't there. How about regional? We, we, we can divide over regions. You know, there's those hicks in the flyover country, right? Versus the freaks who live on the coast. Okay. <laughs> And we can just l- look down on people because of regional, where they live. How about political? Oh, those foolish Democrats, those foolish Republicans, those foolish right-wingers, those foolish left-wingers. And we exalt self while looking down at someone else. Let me just say, if you look down at people of another race and you kind of think things like, well, they're all angry and they're, they're violent and they're entitled and you know, I don't know what the, what the big deal is, and they're all that way. You're guilty of this sin. Why don't you just go out and say, God, I thank you I'm not like other people. God, I thank you I'm not like them. If you look at people of another race and say, well, they're all racist, you know, they can't help it. They're privileged. They're hypocrites. You're guilty of this sin. Why don't you just go out and say, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like them. And let me just give you some really good news right now. The church is the key to stopping all this or at least modeling a a different way. Do you understand that? We are the key. Because we know the truth. We know that we're all the same. We know that we are all sinners saved by grace. We understand that. We have the answer, and I would love to see the church, I would love to see this church take even greater steps in just modeling this idea that, man, in Christ Jesus, we are one. We are one. We are all just sinners who have an amazing Savior who loves us, and has saved us, and we are all moving towards what Jesus said is abundant life, real life in him, and we can do that together. We don't care about racial distinctions. We don't care about economic distinctions. We don't care about any of that because we're all the same. We are all in the same boat. That's the biggest problem, and our culture has moved so much to identity politics. Everything separates. Everything separates. We are the, we are the key to modeling something different. Because we have the ultimate thing that unifies. Yeah, um, we are sinners who, apart from Jesus, we are lost. But in him, we have life. The church is the key, folks. We can be. Jesus called us. Remember what he said? He said, you're a city on a hill. He says, you don't put a light on a lampstand. Cover it. Folks, we need to be the church. We need to model that kind of love and grace. See, one thing I tell married couples whenever I do a wedding um, I tell the couples, I say, what you need to, to right now set yourself to do is to give all the grace that you hope to receive. Give all the grace that you hope to receive. See, that, cha- that right away, when I recognize how I see myself changes how I see other people. When I recognize I'm a sinner who's going to need grace, Okay, it's very hard for me to sit in judgment on other people, isn't it? When I know, okay, I-, I screwed up like five times, and my wife was really gracious to me, and then she does something, and I'm, how dare you, you know, I- It's hard to do that, isn't it? Because you're kind of like, boy, I'm kind of a jerk right now because she like forgave me five times. I should probably give her grace because, boy, I sure needed it and she gave it to me. That's why Jesus in Matthew 7, 1 through 5 said, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with this measure, you'll use it. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Listen, I love this. Do you know Jesus is being kind of sarcastic and ridiculous here on purpose? Why do you see the speck? This is a little parable, a little word picture. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice a log that is in your own eye? Another translation says a plank. And so Jesus is, and they're sitting there. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior, the chosen one, talking about a a plank in your eye. Here, let me get that speck out of you. My arm's not long enough. Hold on. This is a ridiculous picture. Why don't you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice a log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And by the way, after I've recognized and seen the log in my own eye and worked and let the Lord take it out and remove it, let me tell you something about the speck in my brother's eye. It looks a whole lot different. When I've been staring at a big old log, a plank in my eye, it makes me far more gentle I'm far more compassionate on the speck that's in my brother's eye. When I recognize my own sin and my need for grace, I am unbelievably far more gracious to other people. See, we're all sinners in need of a Savior, aren't we? All sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus tells us, oh, you know what? I did this last night. Oh, I did finish this one. Good. Last night I forgot to finish the passage. It was really awkward. You should have been there. <laughs> in this story... Okay, Jesus doesn't just present the problem and then go, well, figure it out because you guys are messed up. No, he actually tells us how to protect ourselves from this destructive sin of, God, I'm glad I'm not like them. And what he invites us to do is choose the gift of humility. Choose the gift of humility. Remember what he said? Verse 14, I tell you this. It's the end of the story. This man, the tax collector... This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's powerful. In his epistle, 1 Peter 5, 5 5-7, Peter says this, Likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For, listen to this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's, That's, we need to know that. That's really important. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know what that means? I don't have to exalt myself. I don't have to put other people down. I'm fine. He's going to take care of me. I don't have to exalt myself. I don't have to position. I don't have to put other people down. No, no, I I don't need to be anxious. That's That's out of a fear and an anxiety and an insecurity. He says you don't have to be like that. He cares for you you're fine. You don't have to do that. That picture, Peter said, clothe yourselves with humility. I mean, it's just like, just let it be the very essence of your nature. And it's funny, he says toward one another, not just towards God. It's like, I, I'm happy to humble myself before God because he's God, you know, he's, he's the almighty, he's the creator, the alpha, the omega. But I don't want to humble myself for y'all because you're just people. And you, by the way, you're around all the time. I can kid myself and say I'm humbling myself before God when I'm not really. Because I said the right words, even though I'm boldly disobeying him in something. Which is definitely not humbling myself before God. But when it comes to you, you're right here in my face all the time. And we're interacting and humbling myself before real people is a struggle. But that's what the scripture said. See, there's such an important principle here. What both Jesus said and Peter quoted, James quotes the same thing. The fact is, you will be humbled and you will be exalted. This is truth. You can take this to the bank. Scripture says it. Anyone who's lived any length of years knows this is true. You will be humbled and you will be exalted. Here's what Jesus is telling us. You get to, deci- to decide in what order and by whom. You get to decide in what order and by whom. Because Jesus said, you exalt yourself, you'll be brought down. God opposes the proud. But if you humble yourself, it says he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will lift you up in due time. Humility is the path to advancement, the path to growth, the path to God coming alongside says, I will exalt you. I will lift you up. I don't need you doing that to yourself all the time. I need, I need, I need you to humble yourself so that you're in a place where you're teachable, where you're open, where you can receive. Because the minute we're puffed up and exalted in pride, we close off. And That's a dangerous place to be. We are all sinners in need of a Savior.
0: And that is just the biblical
1: truth. And we have to decide what we're going to do about it.
0: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Storyteller, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org.